There's an interesting phrase that has become popular in recent years here in America. How many of you have ever heard the new normal, that phrase? Have you heard that? Thank you for the two people that just participated. It's nice to have you involved. Uh, it, this phrase, the new normal, began in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, and it was coined to describe the condition of our world, the transformation of our world that occurred during the crisis itself. And it was meant to imply that the world was never going to go back to the way it was economically, that, that it would never go back to what was normal. In other words, we needed to adjust our lives and change our, our living, in our financial lives at least, to a new normal. And you need to know that, that the phrase didn't end with the financial crisis. I mean, the meaning of that phrase, the new normal, has now, over time, become a part of our everyday vernacular. When someone talks about new normal, they can be talking about any area of life, but what they're saying is, some dramatic event has occurred that has made that which used to be abnormal now normal. Some transformative event occurred that has taken what used to not be, and it's made it reality today. And so, it's an encouragement, this phrase, that we should live differently now that the world has changed. Adjust your life to the new normal. And I'm telling you, this phrase has captured me as it relates to what we're here to celebrate this weekend. You see, in Easter, God has given us a new normal. It was a transformative event that literally can and should change the way we live our lives. But as with the financial crisis, though the economic realities of the world changed dramatically, many people for a long time tried to live according to the old normal. There was no change in their life, and it just really started messing with them. And, and the same is true spiritually. Though the resurrection was a, an event that dramatically changed our world, there are many, in fact most, who are still living by the old standards, by the old realities. They're missing everything God brought to us through the resurrection. Now, in order to really understand what we have in a post-resurrection world, in this new normal world, in order to receive the encouragement that we should be living our lives differently, I think we have to remind ourselves what the, what the old normal, normal was, what the world was like before the resurrection. This is really important, and it's pretty hard for us. Here we are, 21st century people. It would scare me to death if one of you was actually here at the time of the resurrection. You would be like, well, like, really dusty at the minimum. You know? So we were all born post the resurrection. And so we don't really understand what the world was like. We've not really thought about what the world was like before that empty tomb. To which some of you say, yeah, but I, I don't really buy into the resurrection. I'm not, I haven't yet taken that leap of faith to believe that Jesus walked out of that tomb. I, I'm not there yet. And I get it. And we're so thrilled. That Northridge is a place where people who haven't yet decided to believe come. That is what we're all about. But you need to know this. Believe or not believe, your life has been totally impacted and made different in this world because of that empty tomb. That empty tomb, whether you believe it ever happened or not, 
affirmed the life of Jesus Christ in such a way that he changed the world. His teachings have changed the world. His, his compassion has changed the world. Before Jesus, there wasn't care for those who had special needs. They were, they were seen as people who didn't matter to God, and so they were treated as if they didn't matter in this world. But Jesus taught us to love the weak and to love those who had special needs, and so the world loves. And how did that transform our world? Because when he walked out of that tomb, people started taking him seriously. He started transforming their lives. The resurrection has made this world a more compassionate, generous place. The resurrection is really the source of all optimism and hope in this world because without it, it doesn't make sense to have optimism. Without it, there is no hope. There's only despair. And that's the world we had before the resurrection. And what I love is we're walking through the book of Mark and we're now at the culmination point where we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus. I love that Mark gives us a picture of what the world was like before Jesus rose. And it, and it starts in Mark chapter 15 and verse 37. Mark, Mark writes, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Now, you have to put the context there to understand the poignancy because this is the one who had come and expressed compassion the people around him had never experienced before. This is the one who started displaying the power of God in ways they had never seen. He was healing people and this is the one who taught in a way that no one else had ever taught. He taught as if he was the originator, that as if he was the author of truth instead of as someone just spouting someone else's truth. He, his truths have changed the world. We're still talking about them today. This is the one who said, I'm going to change this messed up world. I'm going to bring into the kingdom of this world the kingdom of God. I'm going to flip it upside down. Everything's going to be different if you follow me. And now he's breathing his last. That doesn't make sense. Instead of changing the world, this world took him out. And think about those who were around him who had started following him, who had started believing against hope that he was telling the truth, that he was going to change the world, that he was bringing the kingdom of God, that the promises of God were finally going to be seen. Imagine the people around him in his circle who said, wow, finally someone that's worth devoting our lives to. And Mark tells us about these people. As Jesus was breathing his last, Mark says some women who were watching from a distance were there. And among them, he names a couple, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, which is a, a kind of a synonym for Joseph. And, and then it's really amazing to me. I had no idea, but the, the person who invented that strange lunch meat was there, salami. Ah, it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. Salome, actually, but, you know, I was just seeing if you had woken up at all. Um, it says, then in Galilee, these women that were just named had followed him and cared for his needs. What Mark's saying is they had devoted their lives to him. They had followed him. They had left everything that was normal. They had so bought into his message and so believed that he was the one that was going to change the world and change their lives that he was finally one that could be trusted they followed him. And what was happening? They saw at a distance Jesus breathe his last. There were also many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. And then he died. It tells that a guy named Joseph bought some linen cloth and took down the body. This 
this body of this man who seemed to have the power to change lives and change the world now was lifeless. And they wrapped it in the linen like they would any other human being and placed it in a tomb like was the end of any other human being. And then they rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb and they shut him into the darkness like any other human being. In other words, he who came and said he was going to change the story was experiencing the same story. And you do understand that's what the world was like before the resurrection. When people dared to hope, their hopes were dashed by reality. And even if all life went well, it ended with death, and death was forever. You dug a hole, or you cut a hole in the rock, and you put a stone in front of it, or you filled it back in, and there you go. The end of the story. Darkness wins. Tragedy wins. Grief wins. Loss wins. Sorrow wins. And these people were experiencing it in spades because they had bought into the idea that he was going to change the world and instead the world removed him. It's the normal. It's what was. They lived in a world defined by rejection and betrayal and suffering and pain and brokenness. They lived in a world defined by injustice. Was there a greater injustice than this good and compassionate spiritual teacher being tortured and nailed to a cross and killed based upon false witnesses and lies because people were jealous of, of the multitudes following him when they weren't following them? No, it's injustice, and that's the world they were experiencing. They were experiencing loss and grief and suffering and brokenness and broken promises because he had promised that he was going to change the world and save them, but, but he just... He just died like everyone else. And so they were experiencing darkness and despair. Despair. You see, despair is really the world they lived in because that's the world you live in when things go wrong and there's nothing that can change it or fix it. And that's the world they were in. It, it, it seemed like, in spite of the fact Jesus said he was in control, that, that he had no control, obviously. He couldn't even save himself from death on the cross. It, he said there was rhyme and reason in this world, but it's obvious there was no real rhyme and reason. He talked about God's presence in the world, but obviously God must have been absent. He couldn't even help Jesus. This was a world without hope. But the good news about what Mark records for us is that it didn't end there because Mark then goes on to tell us about the dramatic event that changed everything, that created the new normal. And I want to read you his words, and then we'll throw some color into it. Look at Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, this is odd for 21st century people because, man, once you put the dirt on, really it's supposed to stay there, unless there's a court order and some DNA that has to be taken, right? I mean, you're not going to go, like, uncover the body. But back then, they prepared a body for entombment with spices and all kinds of things. You've seen mummification before, and they, this is how they would do it in pre-formaldehyde days. And, and they, they had to hastily prepare his body when he died because Passover was there, and this Jewish celebration forbade you to celebrate if you had touched a dead body. So he had to be buried. 
And so they hated this. He was going to be forever entombed and they didn't even care enough to properly prepare him. And so they went out and they made sure that they got the right things to come to this tomb and they were going to do whatever they could to roll away that stone so they could prepare this body. What does that tell you about their mindset? He was dead and dead people stay dead. That was the end of the story. The one they put all their hope in was now himself hopeless. It was over for them. And then Mark, in penning this story, uses in our language a conjunction that, that changes everything. The next verse starts with this word, but. I mean, they thought they were going to have to anoint him to be entombed forever, that it was all done because the end of the story in the old norm was always the end of the story. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And this always cracks me up when God and his angels do stuff like this. The angel said, don't be alarmed. All right. I mean, literally, they didn't have the pen, so I'm sure there was a major mess going on, right? I mean, seriously, don't be alarmed. That's a crock. And then he said, you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. You're looking for him because he died. Makes sense. That's how the story used to end. But that's not how this story ends because then the angel says, he's risen. He, he's, he's not here. Wait a minute, wait. This is not how the story ends. Yes, it is Now. This is the new normal. He has risen. He is not here. And he says, look, this is where we laid him. He's not there. And then the angel says these words, go and tell his disciples and Peter is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. He says, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter that I can't wait to see him. Now I'm going to tell you that is an amazing verse. It's an amazing part of the story. You see, the disciples had all deserted him and fled. In his moment of greatest need, his best friends split the scene to protect themselves. How tragic. And you know what happens when you fail in a story. You know what happens when you mess up. You know what happens. You experience guilt and shame over it, and it starts defining your life. It changes the way you live. It robs you of potential, and that's where they were. And you know, when Jesus rose, he told the angel, hey, Tell them, I can't wait to see them. I'm not mad at them. They're not condemned. This story ends in a very different way than the old story. I know disappointment in the old story ends with more disappointment, but not this one. Tell them, I can't wait to see them. And I love that the angel threw in and Peter, because it's weird. Peter was one of the disciples. So when he said, tell my disciples, Peter was covered. So why did the angel call out Peter? I'll tell you why. Because Peter is the one who failed most spectacularly. And Peter was the one who was going to be most filled with despair and most destroyed by his guilt. He would have never become anything. He would have gone back to fishing, but he would have lived an empty shell of a life because he had failed so profoundly. And so Jesus wanted him to know, this empty tomb means you're not a failure. Failure is not final. You can experience forgiveness. The empty tomb is your new beginning. And Peter, I can't wait to see you. Now that makes for a great story. It's the new normal. 
You see, what used to be true was no longer true because the resurrection changed everything. But it's right here where, I mean, where those who are still cynics or skeptics or are yet to believe in the resurrection start pulling away from this whole thing. Start saying, oh my gosh, here they go again, spiritualizing the world, skipping reality, living in their fairy tale existence. Why didn't he start this message saying once upon a time? Because you look at the real world and you go, it's exactly the same world that they lived in. I know, I'm experiencing it. You know, people of faith, those of you who are really into it already, as, as I am, it took me a long time to get there, but I am, you're going, yeah, change the story, but the people who are yet to embrace it are going, you guys are clueless, are you blind? The world we live in is in the same exact condition that the world they lived in was. A rejection and injustice and betrayal and suffering and darkness and death and despair. Come on, those rule the day. And if we're honest, and I think we should be, they do rule the day, don't they? I mean, seriously. The world's messed up. Injustice still reigns. Bad things still happen to good people. Hope doesn't define our daily experience. Darkness does and despair does. I mean, come on. We have to be honest about that. And so how in the world did the resurrection change everything? Well, you've got to understand where it happened, when it happened, timing, scope, and sequence. You see, before the empty tomb, injustice was the end of the story. Grief was the end of the story. Disappointment was the end of the story. Loss was the end of the story. Despair was the end of the story. That was the end of the story. That's why people stayed broken. People stayed guilty. People lived under the condemnation of their own mess-ups. But the empty tomb changed that in this way. It didn't remove rejection and it didn't remove all the negatives. It simply changed the end of the story because what happened at the end of the great injustice of Jesus' death? He walked out of the tomb. Kaboom! It changes the story. It is true that we live in a world that is still filled with injustice. You've experienced it. You've handed it out. It's a world filled with injustice because a world with betrayal and rejection and broken promises is a world of injustice. But injustice is no longer final because now God shows that in the end, he makes everything right. Everything went wrong in Jesus' life, it appeared. But when he walked out of the tomb, what did God do? He made it all right. And the end becoming a beginning changes everything. I can experience injustice if I know it's going to be followed by justice. I can experience sorrow if I know it's going to be followed by joy. I can experience despair if I know it's going to be followed by hope. And in the old norm, it wasn't, which is why people's lives were defined by darkness and despair. But post-resurrection, there's a whole new end of the story in Jesus. It's true that in our world, there's still failure, which means there's still guilt and shame. I know this so personally because I, like you, fail significantly in my life. And and guilt and shame starts dominating us and 
in the old story when Peter failed that would have been on his tombstone but once Jesus came out of that tomb failure was no longer final forgiveness was now available because Jesus was alive it's true that we live in a world of despair of course we live in a world of despair because we still live in a world with all the things that cause despair a world of suffering and pain and brokenness, a world of loss and grief and disappointment, a world with fear and sorrow and darkness and ultimately death. Of course, despair reigns. But since Jesus rose, despair is no longer final. Hope and joy is. I mean, put yourself in this context. Were there ever people on this planet that had more reason to despair than these. I mean, they staked everything on him being the king of kings, the Messiah, the savior of the world, gonna change everything. He said he was bringing the kingdom of God and then he's brutalized like everyone else and taken out and they were in despair. But then he walked out. The tomb was empty. God changed the story. He made all the wrongs right. And how do you think they felt then? Well, all you have to do is read the text. I mean, they were a little bit freaked out by it. But they were filled with joy. And it changed their lives so dramatically that they gave up their lives, most of them, to death in order to serve him. Why? Because their despair was turned to hope and joy because God changed the end of the story. You see, God's resurrection created a new normal. In the end, though our world is genuinely messed up, it is not as it appears out of control. It is not without rhyme or reason. God is in control. God is faithful. He proved it when he overcame death on that day. That which is out of our control, life and death, he controls. He's never failed us. He's never forgotten us. And he's kept all of his promises. God is not absent. God is present. And God is working. And the empty tomb proves it. And yet too many of us are living as if it never happened. We show up in a church and sing songs maybe, at least those of us who are here. But, but we're living the old normal. We've experienced injustice and guess what? Our life is defined by that. We're, we're trying to get people back or we're living with anger or we refuse to forgive and, and our lives are defined by the darkness of that injustice because we don't realize that God is going to make everything right. We've experienced loss and grief and it's as if everything comes to an end then but everything doesn't come to an end then because Jesus came out of that tomb. And here's the truth I want you to see this weekend. Because of Easter, we can have an entirely new life. And can we just really be honest with each other? We clean up nicely. We know how to image well. We all look like we're doing great. We've asked each other, you know, how you doing today? Great. Happy Easter. I'm not sure you said it with that kind of, you know, accent. Sounded like a scary 92-year-old lady from, you know, another country. I don't know. But here's the thing. We're making believe that everything's okay. But we know what's going on inside. Something's missing. We long for so much more. Life should be so much more. And it's not. And 
We feel like we've been treated unjustly. We feel like everything's gone wrong. We feel like God's been absent from our lives. We feel like it's missing. And you see what we're doing is we're living according to the old normal. We, we're not living according to the new normal, but there's this event that has taken place that has changed everything. And it can entirely give us a different life, a better life. There was never a worse ending than Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, the one who calmed the storm on the sea, being nailed to a cross and dying and being put in a tomb covered with linen. There was never a worse ending than it, never. In our story, that is the end. But in God's story, that's just the beginning. And what I need you to understand if you're going to experience the impact of the resurrection is no matter what ending comes into your life, no matter what ending, how unjust, how hurtful, or how broken it leaves you, how much it fills you with despair, no matter what ending comes into your life, with God, it's a new beginning. Because death walks out of the tomb. I believe many of us are entombed by the tragic junk that happens in our lives in this messed up world. But, but that's the old story. The new story is we don't have to live in the dark tomb of death and destruction. We can walk out because when Jesus walked out of that grave, he gave us the ability to walk out of the prison of darkness we've been in and to experience life for the first time. Paul says it, he got it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There, you see, this phrase, the new normal, is not new at all. This too comes from God. God has changed what was normal to something new and different. The problem is we haven't yet embraced it. We haven't yet experienced it in our lives, even those of us who claim to be following Jesus. Jesus was talking to some people who had been following him, and they had lost their brother to what seemed to be an unexpected death. His name was Lazarus. And in John 11, verses 25 and 26, this is what Jesus said to one of his sisters. He says, I... Right at his graveside, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, he'll live. In other words, your brother Lazarus, even though he died, it looks like an end to you, he, he's going to live. He believed in me. And whoever lives and believes in me, in reality, he says, will never die. Do you believe this, he asked? Now what you have to understand is that this was before he walked out of the tomb. They're looking at him and going, you're nuts. I mean, death is death. That's the end of the story. And so, because he hadn't yet come out of the tomb and he was really trying to press the point, in this particular story, you know what he does? He goes, and he, he didn't like put on a show and, you know, bring out a magic wand and say abracadabra and all that different stuff. He didn't, you know, start cutting himself and, go, you know, doing all kinds of religious fanatical crud. You know, he, he just said, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walked out of the tomb crazy. Talk about needing depends. I mean, that was a moment. He was just proving a point. Look at... And, and so many people don't get this. 
Lazarus isn't really dead. Do you know on that day, everybody thought this was amazing except Lazarus? Lazarus was up in heaven having a blast, doing great, finally in paradise, not with a bunch of junky failures like us, and he's up there with the good guys, you know, not down here in hell with the bad guys, and and Jesus said, hey, Lazarus, come back, and he's going, no! I don't want to do that, because he finally experienced the reality that physical death is not death at all, and all Jesus is saying, look, and I'm telling you right now, when you believe in me, even when you die physically, you live. In fact, just know this, dying physically is not dying at all, because you're still fully alive in me. And here's what Jesus is telling us. We lose ourselves in the moment and we forget the end of the story. You do this, I do this. We lose ourselves in the failure of the moment and so we stop living. We lose ourselves in the sorrow of the moment so we stop living. We lose ourselves in the disappointment of the moment so we stop living. We lose ourselves because of the injustice of this world and we stop living. And he's saying, no, that's the, that's the old normal. But the new normal is, whatever it is you're experiencing now, just know this. It's walked out of the tomb of death it's caused, and God has a brand new beginning for you, and you can experience it. Do you believe? And here's how you should unwrap it in your life. We're going to move into worship and a time of meaningful celebration but, but I want you to know that if we're going to experience the new life, the new normal that Jesus came to give us, which all of us need, if we're going to experience it, then, then there's something we have to do. And I, a lot of people who you know, aren't into the whole church thing go, oh, here's where the dude's going to make us have to commit to being religious and give and all that stuff. No, no. See, when you commit to doing something to change your story, what you do is you ruin your story even more because you can't do it right. I can't, you can't. We just mess up our own story. But if you're going to experience the new story, the new normal, the better life that Jesus gave you when he walked out of that tomb, what you have to do is you have to stop doing it yourself, trying on your own, trying to fix your own messes, and you need to simply come to him believing by faith because he's the only one that can take death and turn it into life. He's the only one that can change the story. And this is why in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus speaking to a crowd very much like this. Oh, they were dressed differently and they had different technology, but, but just like us, people who, who knew the despair and the injustice and the darkness of this world, who knew that their lives were over because there was nothing to put hope in, And he said, hey, when you're weary and you're burdened and you're defeated, when you have no place to go and you're entombed in something that's trapping you from finding the life that God's created you for, come to me and I'll give you rest. This Easter, if we're going to experience the new normal, what we have to do is we have to stop trying harder and we have to just start trusting him. When we come to him, he turns everything upside down because he changes the most important part of the story, the end. And that's where we find hope and joy. So come to Jesus. That's the goal this Easter.
if all that you are is not all that you desire then come there's Easter but we have to be honest all that we are isn't all we desire every single one of us knows that something's missing every single one of us knows that we're living below our potential it's because we're living by the old norm it's time to live by the new norm and the way to do that is to come And so whether you're already a Christ follower or you're not yet a Christ follower, that's the answer. We come so we can experience the power of his resurrection to give us the new beginning we so desperately need. And so before we move into a final celebration and worship time, I'm going to ask if you'd just bow with me in a word of prayer. And if you're already a Christ follower, I want to encourage you to be doing what all of us have to do on a daily basis. Come to him and let him breathe new life into your moment, new beginnings into your story. But if you're here and you've not yet ever come to Jesus, you might be religious or not. You may have said a bunch of prayers or not, but you know you've never truly come and let him do in you what he did when he walked out of that tomb, give you life. Pray with me. I'm going to pray, and if you take my words and make them yours in your heart to God, he will change you forever. Just say, Jesus, I come. You know what's inside me. I've sinned against you. I am guilty. I've failed you and myself and others. But Jesus, you died on that cross for my sin. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And you rose again to give me a new beginning, a new start. And by faith in you, by coming to you, I'm claiming it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I just, I can't encourage you enough to let us know. When I came to faith, I kind of had to take the journey on my own. And I tell you, I made a lot of mistakes. And so as a pastor, it's just my commitment and our ministry's commitment to help you to know there are next steps that you can take. And so we make it really easy. We've put together a letter that we'd love to send you about next steps, but we just have to know you prayed with me. And so in our program, we're one church in four locations in all of our different campuses. We give you these programs, and on the inside is what we call a connection card. And on this connection card, obviously a place to fill out your name and address so we can get this information to you, but on the front side of it is this bold rectangle with two check boxes in it. Some of you came, and you already had a relationship with Jesus, but you just haven't been really connected to him, experiencing the new beginnings that he can create for you. And so, as a part of this service, you've said, man, I'm, I'm all in, I'm reconnecting. You've just renewed your commitment. And so that second box in that rectangle's for you. Hit that, and we put together information about next steps for you. But if you're here and you did it for the first time, you, you prayed with me to step into that relationship for the first time, you check that first box. It says that you prayed to receive Jesus that way. And here's how you get the, the, the connection card to us. There are boxes at every single exit, and all you have to do is put it in there, and we'll do the rest. We'll send them out to you. And if you're watching online, hit the What Next button. We'll do the same for you. But here's what we know. We know just because we're ending a service doesn't mean God's 
stopping his conversation in your heart and your life. We get that. And so we've developed a, a pastor and, and a volunteer prayer team. People who really know the Lord and have a great relationship with him who would love to answer any questions you might have or, or have a conversation with you about things that are going on in your life or just pray with you or for you. And so here's how you can meet with them. You just, as everyone else is leaving when we end the service, all you have to do is kind of make your way to the front. And this is true in all of our, our overflow areas. This is true in all of our campuses. Just kind of come in the front and hang out in the first row. Sit down and one of our team members will come and some, spend some time with you. And we'd love to minister to you that way if that would be beneficial. But now what we want to do is we, we want to end this celebration of his resurrection in the best way we can this year. And I'm going to tell you, as I think about it, if we really believe that he rose from the dead, if we really were in the midst of that despair and then we realized that, wow, he said he was going to die and he did and then he said he was going to rise and he did and he's alive and he's rewritten the book. There's a new norm. I mean, if we really believe that, you know what we'd want to do? We'd want to shout at the top of our lungs how great he is. And so we thought, why shouldn't we just do that then, right? And so whether you can sing or not, we want you to shout from the depth of your being this reality. He is the great I am. The empty tomb proves it. Let's celebrate him, enjoy him, come to him, and be changed by him. Happy Easter, everybody.